Father, we come to you this morning and <laughs> thank you, Lord, we've been redeemed. Father, we thank you that fun isn't found in a bottle and it isn't found in a bar, but joy comes from you. God, we thank you that you are our source of freedom, our source of joy, our source of everything, God, that's right in our life. And so, Father, this morning, we pray that your anointing and your power, God, will be released in this place. Father, I pray that every person in this place, God, will experience from you. We know that one word from you can change a life forever. And so, Father, we pray this morning that that word will come and change each and every one of our lives. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for what you're going to say, and we give it all to you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Well, again, as, in case you didn't notice when I did the announcements, Pastor Russ is not here. So, uh, um, but he'll be back next week and starting a new service. Um, so, you know, we're, we're real proud of him. You know, he's, he's really coming along. And so um, he'll be back next week to speak to you guys. So <laughs> don't tell him I said that. Cut that out of the podcast. So uh, I just want to recap real quick before we move on the things that Pastor Russ has been talking about. And there are two things that are left over that he hasn't discussed yet. And so the first thing that Pastor Russ talked about was we as a church value God. And that should be the first and foremost value of not just church, but of us as a whole. The second thing that we value is life. Mm. And then Pastor Russ moved on to relationships. If you have been here more than once or so, you'll know that one thing that we do is we're a friendly church, and we want to get to know you, and we want to find out who you are, and we want to hang out with you, and, and we want to build relationships with you. Number four is teamwork. Number five is improvement. Number six, Pastor Russ did last week on culture. Culture is so important, ministering the gospel. I believe the Apostle Paul, when he was out traveling all around, he understood this concept because he was very effective in wherever he went. We have to meet people and reach people where they're at because that's how God reaches and meets us. And the new one, or rather the new two, the first one is number seven, and that is fun. I believe that we serve a God who likes to have fun. You know, I don't know about you, but all these pictures I saw of Jesus, you know, with the lamb and the blonde hair and the blue eyes that I grew up seeing of Jesus, that's not how I picture Jesus. Man, I can just picture and imagine when Jesus was hanging out with the disciples and stuff, I, I don't know about you and, and maybe, maybe I'm just out of whack, but man, I could picture a wrestling match happening every now and then or, you know, some joking around and, and pushing each other around and stuff that guys do. I know you ladies may not relate to that. Um, and there's some other things those guys do I won't mention, but um, I can just picture that. Man, Jesus wasn't this somber guy. Jesus loved life. And Jesus wants us to love life. And we have got to be a people to have fun. I mean, if, if, if I'm not a believer in Christ and I look, at, I look at believers all the time and they're all serious and somber all the time and, and uh, you know, smacking each other with Bibles and all this kind of stuff, I'd be like, really? Really? 
Where's the fun in that? I guarantee you when you find Jesus, and I'll talk about this a little later, uh, he's more fun than what Cheryl Crow sang about. And the last one that we're going to be introducing very shortly today because I'm going to be talking about something different is uh, authenticity, about being real, about being a person who, who is the same on Sunday morning at church that I am all week long. I have difficulties in my life. I have struggles in my life, and that's okay because I'm improving. I'm growing. I'm getting better. I'm moving forward, and I need to be real about that because I need you and you and you that I can come talk to you and say, hey, will you pray with me? Hey, can you speak into my life? Hey, can you tell me when I'm a little out of whack? So about being real, and I think that's just so cool. I'm glad that Pastor Russ added that to our values. So I got a short video we want you to see, and then we'll get rolling again here. I think that that goes a long way in, in explaining what we're talking about. You know, the Bible says a merry heart in Proverbs, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. And that's so true. And confessing our sins to one another and hanging out with each other in those relationship deals, being authentic, being real, is huge in how we grow and we develop. They're huge. They're amazing. So those are the two last ones that Pastor Russ didn't finish, and he had to head out of town this week, so... um, he wanted me to finish up on those and then get into what we're really going to talk about today. And I have a definition that I want to give you. There's a guy by the name of Bob Logan. And Bob Logan's this guy that goes around and helps churches plant and helps churches get going. He's a pretty cool guy. And, and I like what he had to say about values. Can you bring that up? Values are often written assumptions that guide our actions. Values demonstrate our convictions and priorities. Values are confirmed by our actions, not just our words. Everything we do during the week reflects what our values are. Ouch. I know that hits me hard. And today, I want to talk about what do you value? I want to close this whole thing up and bring it back from not just what the church values, but what do we as individuals value? What do you value? I'm sure that it was a morning like no other. Yeah, the city was quiet and the sun was coming up. But there was a stir in Jerusalem that they hadn't felt in this generation before. Something was getting ready to happen that was not only going to shake the foundation of the city, but it was going to shake the very foundation of every person that lived in Jerusalem. You see, there was an enemy that had come, and he surrounded the city, an enemy from a great city, one of the most powerful cities. And they were hungry to capture and consume more land and more slaves. They had to grow. 
I can just imagine in the homes the terror that must be felt when they realized that the city was surrounded, that there were enemies everywhere. It was a morning like none other. One of those mornings where you want to keep the sun down. And you're trying to push the sun back down because you don't want daybreak to come because you know what's going to happen. Oh, I can just imagine. Moms and dads trying to figure out what's going to happen with my children. Are they going to be killed? Are they going to be captured? Are they going to be made slaves? I can just imagine mom and dad's last kiss. They're probably never going to see each other again. Jerusalem was about to be shaken at its very core. There were four men in Jerusalem that were going to be captured and taken back. And they were pretty affluent guys because they were going to hang out. They were being raised to hang out in the, in the temple, in the king's area. And I'm sure they were teenagers like anybody else, you know, coming home from school, playing the Xbox. Running off, talking to mom, can I go to the movies? Hey mom, hey dad, hey there's, there's a dance at the school tonight, I gotta go. Did my show record on the DVR? Shark week. Gotta watch my Duck Dynasty, hey Jack. But they were normal kids living a normal life with loving parents and everything that they knew was getting ready to be decimated. But there was something special about these four young men. Something so special that most people couldn't even comprehend it. Oh, the king of Babylon, he's so excited. Man, this is going to be so easy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to capture more land. I'm going to get more money. I'm going to get more power. This is what it's all about. There is no leader greater than me. And he's so excited. And he's so fired up. Oh, this is the day. It's go time, baby. He's just about ready to send him in the troops. He's just about ready to get this thing on. But he's way different than these four other guys. These four youth are so far ahead of the king, even though the king has all the power and the money. He's got it all. There's a difference. And we're going to find that difference out soon. So the king, he sends in his armies. And I'm sure that it was a pretty quick victory. And I can just imagine, like I said, family members being ripped out of their homes and dad had already left because he was going to go protect the city against the invading army.
They came in and they destroyed and conquered Jerusalem. Grabbed the king of Judah and took control. These four men, young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ripped out of their homes, were ripped away from their families along with some others, and they were paraded back to Babylon in the victorious parade. Now, Babylon, in case you don't know, Babylon was, was located about 50 miles outside of where Baghdad is right now in Iraq. So that can kind of give you a picture of, of what the landscape looked like. Oh, it was desolate. They're marching, and the heat's pouring down, and they're marching, and all of a sudden, they see this amazing city, Babylon. Babylon wasn't anything like Jerusalem. Oh, it was laden with false gods. And all the bad things at night. We have the kids in here this week, so I'm not going to. It wasn't a great place. It was a fun place. Cheryl Crow would have liked it. But it wasn't a great place. There was great pain and hurt in everything that was there. So these young men were taken in, and they were taken captive, and they were sent off to a school to be indoctrinated for three years in the way that they needed to live in Babylon and serve the king. The king's name was Nebuchadnezzar. And when I'm teaching the little kids, it's Nebuchadnezzar. So that's what your kids learn. Sorry. But they come in and they're getting indoctrinated. And the head guard of the king tells them that they need to eat the food that Babylon eats. And it was food that that they were forbidden to eat. And these four guys stand up and they say, no, we're not going to do it. We'll eat the vegetables and we'll eat the water, but we're not going to eat the food. So finally they convince the guard to let him go for a period of time eating this food to see, to make sure that they don't start looking scraggly. Because if that happens, the king's not going to be happy. After a period of time, they're looking healthier than the rest. And the agreement's made that they're going to get to keep doing that. But pretty soon it's all going to change. You can tell I'm a children's pastor, right? Pretty soon it's all going to change. The king one day has a dream. And he calls in his sorcerers and his magic people and his satanic people and all of that crew, the Ouija board people and whoever they are. And he says, you need to interpret this dream or I'm going to kill you because you're of no value to me. None of them can do it. And the king sends the guard out to kill all these people. And all of a sudden, Daniel rises up and says, what's all this fuss about? The guard tells him what's going on, and Daniel says, you know what? I can interpret that dream. I can do it. I serve a God who knows everything. I can do it. 
I don't know about you, but that's pretty crazy to me. I mean, come on now. You got an all-powerful king that tells all his spiritual leaders of the day that if you can't interpret my dream, I'm going to kill you. And Daniel says, hey, man, put me in the ring. I'll do it. I'll lay it down. And he hasn't even heard from God yet. So God gives him the interpret. I want to speed up here. God gives him the interpretation of the dream, and, and uh, he tells the king. And the king says, my gosh, surely Daniel's God is the greatest God of all the gods. He must be the highest. <clears throat> Chapter 2 ends of Daniel. What is the first thing that happens in chapter 3? Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar makes himself a statue. He makes it out of gold, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. And he declares that everybody's going to have to worship this thing. Now, you got to remember, Daniel has been placed over all of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been made administrators over Babylon. They're high up. And this king who just witnessed this and declared that Jehovah is the king of kings comes up and makes a new god. Are you for real? Man, talk about memory loss. So here we go, and this is really where I wanted to get. The king makes a statue and places it out in the desert. He gathers all of his high-ranking people and high-ranking officials. And he brings them in and he places them in front of the statue. And he says, when the horns play, when the sounds go, when the music, when the drums play, when Cheryl Crow kicks off, I want you guys to all get on your knees and worship this chunk of gold. <clears throat> now, I'm the guy that's in the back with the chisel <laughs> taking the gold. You know, is anybody coming? Scraping a little bit. So this goes on. And all these people, even the ones from Jerusalem, get down and bow for fear of the king. They bow. And of course, the, the tattletales have to come along. All the spiritual people. You know, I bet they didn't have spirit fingers. All the spiritual people come up. And they tell the king that there are three. I don't know where Daniel is, it doesn't say. But I know that Daniel didn't, didn't bow because of later on. But these three guys, they didn't bow. The king says, gets in a rage. I mean, he is hot. He is hotter than a bank robber's pistol. You know what I mean? I mean, he is mad. I can just imagine he probably punched the guy next to him, you know, because it's his fault. And he has him brought up to him. And he says, look, guys, is it true? And this is where I want to pick it up. In verse 14 of Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar says to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refer, refuse to serve my gods? 
or worship the gold statue I've set up. And I've read this story, and I have taught this story to kids, and I have read this story, and read it, and read it, and I never saw this, ever, and I don't know why, that you refuse to serve my gods. Did you catch that? Nebuchadnezzar thought so much of himself, He had to have thought he was a god if he had gods underneath him. When I saw that, it blew my mind. I'm like, wow, I never saw that before. And then I got to thinking about it. What does Nebuchadnezzar value? He values himself. It's all about the king. Look at me, I'm the king. It's all about him saw that verse 16 Shadrach Meshach and Abednego replied O Nebuchadnezzar we do not need to defend ourselves before you if we are thrown into the blazing furnace the God whom we serve is able to save us he will rescue us from your power your majesty but even if he doesn't we won't make it clear to you we, will make it, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. It's very obvious that these three guys have different, very different values than King Nebuchadnezzar. What do you think these guys' first value is? Anybody know? It's God. That's exactly right. What's our church's first value? Hmm, <laughs> Nice. One person's on it. (laughs) Stan, you just got yourself an attaboy. Put that in your pocket and save that one for later. They value God. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? So they're talking to the king. Now, remember, he's the mightiest king around. He even thinks he's God. And he says to these guys, all right, I'm going to give you another shot here. Another chance. I'm going to look past this other one because I, I like you guys, sort of. And by most standards, you're pretty good guys. He says, I'm going to give you another chance. And what do they say to this guy? I mean, think about it. You're standing in front of a guy that has the power to kill you. And he tells you to do something. He needs you to do something. And you look him in the face and you say, whatever, dude. I don't think so. Because I know someone bigger. I know someone better. I know someone better than you. And he will. You notice that? He will rescue us from your power. Now that had to shake the king a little bit. He's like, what? I mean, there's none greater than me. What do you mean he's going to, nobody's going to take you from my power but me. I'm the one. I'm the man. But they stand up to him. And there's a lot of confusion about verse 18. Some people say that even if he doesn't, meaning the king, throw us in the fire. But I believe this. 
I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were so on fire for God, were so full of faith and believing that God was going to deliver them, they said this, he will. But even if it was the case that he wouldn't, which is not the case, I still wouldn't do it. Kill me. I still wouldn't do it. Man, what an inspiration for me. I remember years ago being in the Navy. And I knew God. I love God. Um, Been to Bible classes, you know, sat under great sermons and all this kind of stuff. But I remember being in the Navy, and there was a period of time, and my mother's here, so um, close your ears, Mom. Um, I remember there was a period of time where I'm hanging out with these guys, my shipmates, and they're saying, come on out with us, man, let's go hang out. Best bar in town, we pull into Hawaii, best bar in, best bar in town here, you got to come, we got to go, we got to do it. So I cave and I go in with them. And, you know, when I first started, I didn't drink a whole lot. I, I didn't, actually, I didn't drink at all. So I'm sure like a thimble probably would have knocked me over. But I go out with these guys. And I start drinking. I don't even remember how I got home. I don't, I don't remember going home. I don't remember how I got home. I know the stories that they told me that I did, probably all lies. I would never do that. What? You know, they told me all the things that they did. And then Mr. Coates tells me a story a few weeks ago. And I thought it was really cool. And I admire him. Because in the heat, in the time when it meant the most, his value was God. And I hope it's okay if I tell the story. He's hanging out. Well, you, you know him. I mean, he, he was a high-up guy in the Marines, which is the women's department of the Navy. But that's another discussion. <laughs> we just let him tag along. <laughs> they wanted to be cool, and they asked, so okay. Whatever. So anyway, he's hanging out with these guys, right? And if I remember correctly, they were special ops guys from Britain, SAS guys. Pretty tough dudes. <clears throat> and they're hanging out for a while, and all of a sudden these guys are talking about, hey, let's go to the club. And because there's kids in here, it was a, you know, a lot of dancing going on. Um, let's go to the club. And I'm sure the pressure was immense. You got 20 guys looking at Bill going, <laughs> let's go, let's go, let's go, let's do this thing. Woo! We're going to have fun, party. And what does he do? He stands up and he says, I'm not going. I'm not going to do it. And they treat, keep trying to convince him and keep trying to convince him. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. And so finally, they start caving one at a time. Yeah, I better go home to my wife. Yeah, I think I'm getting tired. And they start caving one at a time. I think there ended to be a couple that went. What a stand. Yeah, he wasn't going to be thrown into the, into the fire. But it was a different kind of pressure. 
And you all know you've been there with the pressure. But he stood up and he made a difference. Maybe there was a marriage that was saved that night because of what he did. I don't know. Maybe somebody remembered their childhood of being in church and hearing about God and turned their life around, went back to church. I don't know. He'll probably find out one day when he gets to heaven and one of those guys comes up and thanks him. Pretty cool. These three guys, the king says, you're going to burn. You're going to burn. And they say, no, I'm not going to do it. So the king says, well, we're going to play the music anyway, and you're going to get your opportunity. Here's your big moment. Here's the big time. All right, guys, everybody's looking at you now. They've all bowed. They don't have to do it again. They're watching you. We're putting you in the center right in front of this thing. Everybody's watching you. All the peer pressure's on you. The heat's on you. The music goes. Cheryl Crow sings. They don't bow down. The king gets furious. Says, I want you to make that fire so hot. Seven times hotter than normal. And I want you to throw these guys in. He gets his strongest military guys and binds them up and takes them there. The fire was so hot that when they went to throw him in, the big tough guys that threw him in died instantly. These three guys fall in. And I'm sure Nebby's thinking, man, this is all over. Yeah. Who's the big dog now? Where is your God? But all of a sudden, he jumps to his feet in disbelief, in shock. And all the note takers right now are going, wait a minute. I got to fill in my blanks, my card. Where's the notes? Sorry. jumps to his feet and he sees not just these three guys walking around he sees a fourth and what do you think nebby does hope you don't let me call him that it's just a long name he comes down probably not too close because he didn't want to get consumed either and he yells at him he says man come on out guys and they come out and the people gather around them and they find that They don't even smell like smoke. Their hair wasn't even singed. I mean, I don't know if you've barbecued on these big barbecues, but you usually lose a little bit. (laughs) Not even a trace. Nothing. And the king falls down, and he says, Surely your God is the true God. Now, later he'll mess up again, but... It's just how he rolls. So he says, your God's the true God. There's none greater. This is it. And he bows down. And instead of King Nebuchadnezzar bowing in front of his statue, he falls on his face before the true God, the one God, the living God, that brings freedom and brings peace. Oh, how cool is that? For you note takers on your card, the first one's this. Your values are the vehicle that drive you through life. 
Your values are the vehicle that drives you through life. Man, the king, he was going down the wrong path. He had the wrong values. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood up and they said, no, God, we value you. We value you. The next thing for you note takers is this. When your values line up with God's values and you live by them, something great is about to happen. Let's go back to Babylon. The king has just bowed. The king has just declared that Jehovah is the God of gods and the king of kings and he's on his face sucking dirt. Sure, his clothes got all messed up. But what does he do? He turns to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he elevates them to even greater power in his kingdom. How cool is that? They stood against him. They stood against everything he believed in. And they stood for God because God was their value. And all of a sudden, because they did that, God does a miracle. Something great happens. And they're elevated even greater. I know sometimes, especially when I was early in ministry, I used to focus on, okay, God, I need, I need to get a church. God, I, I need to be ministering to these people. I need to do all these people. And pretty soon God would, would just be kind of like over here, you know, kind of like a spectator going, whatever. You know, do your thing, do your thing. Because I didn't put God first. And later on, I learned, and I put God first. And now God keeps taking me up and up and up. The big idea for today is this. If you place God as your number one value, then all other values will come in alignment. You know, maybe you're struggling right now. You're saying, you know, I'm just not living the life. I'm just not there. I'm really having troubles with this stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I'm struggling lining myself up with what God says. This is the formula. You put God first and everything else will fall into alignment. You place God as your number one value and everything else will line up right. I've been through a lot of things in my life. I want to be authentic before you right now. I've been through a lot of things in my life. I've had a lot of hardships. I've had a lot of joys. I married a wife that was certainly out of my league. But the one thing I can say through it all is by placing God as my number one value, I found freedom in life. You know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in life. A lot of junk happens all around us. But when we keep our eyes on there, we're not looking at all the stuff around us. And I found that in my life. I'll tell everybody in the next service what I did since my mom's here in this service. My wife already knows. What are the next steps? 
The first step is this. Take time tonight or soon and look at what you currently value. Do a little searching tonight of yourself. What do I really value? The second thing is this. If God's not your first value, then think about what you can do to place him there. What do I need to get out of the way in order to get God up there? The third thing is, ask God to help you in all areas to put him first. We've got to put him first in every area of our life. Compare your values with God's word is the next one. And the last one is, yield yourself to God, which brings us back to God being our first value. Is that cool? Are you guys all right with all that? All right. If I can get the band back up here, I don't know where they're at. I, I may not know a lot of things. But what I do know is the only thing that truly transforms someone life, someone's life is God. I may not have it all figured out yet, but I know that God is there with me, leading me and guiding me. And I make mistakes sometimes and I screw up sometimes. But God is always there first to pick me up and get me going again. I know that if I keep my eyes on God and place my eyes in that direction always, everything is going to come out right and something great is going to come out of it. God's done amazing miracles in my life. And the greatest miracle that he ever did in my life was to take all of the junk that I've done, all of the things that I've done in the past, and say, Bruce, I love you. I love you so much that I want to wipe it all away. To serve a God like that was something that was a no-brainer to me. I remember when I asked Jesus into my heart at the age of 12. It just made sense. So I want to ask you guys this morning two things. Number one, for those of you that don't know my God, my God is the one that saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire. My God's the one that gave Daniel the interpretation of the dream when the world couldn't do it. My God is the one who, when they killed him, rose up from the dead. That's my God. And he did it for me, and he did it for you, and he would do it again for you, even if you were the only one. If there's anybody in this place that has never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm not super seeker sensitive, so. Would you raise up your hand? You know, I don't know any greater gift in the world you can get than accepting Jesus, the one that God gave you, the grace that says, it doesn't matter what you did. You murdered somebody, no problem. I'm not saying you don't have to live out your consequences. 
You stole a bunch of stuff. It's cool. I took it for you. If there's anybody in this place that wants to be free, you know, when that sins in your life, when you start thinking about it and thinking about your past, it holds you down and it beats you down and it hurts you and it holds you back. And it's something that your mind focuses on and concentrates all the time. You can be free from that today. God wants to release that from your life. Just real quick, is there anybody else? Anybody else in this place that wants to accept Jesus as your Savior? If not, I'll assume everybody's there. The second thing is this. Is there anybody in this place that doesn't value God, number one? And you're saying, you know what? It is time. It is time for me to take a stand and put God first place in my life. We're going to have some people in the back who will pray with you and talk with you about that and help you along that path. I'm not going to have anybody come up and pray for them. If we can have our prayer people in the back, at the end of service when we end, if you can go back there, they want to pray with you and, and show you how cool our God is. Is that all right? All right, wake up, everybody. <clears throat> can I get the ushers to come on up forward? We're going to take our offering now. And you know what? This is my favorite time at church. And I really, really mean that. When I used to sit in church, I love giving. One, because I worship God with when I give. It's just my expression of love for him. And two, God just blesses me so much. God does such cool things in my life. And I know it's because I give, partially. So as the baskets are going around, if you want to throw that in, like I said, there's other ways to give. You can, go on the, you can mail it in. You can go on the website. You can go on the, on, the, on the phone app. Thank you guys so much for coming out on an amazing weekend, a long holiday weekend with awesome weather out there. It's so cool you guys came, and, and I just hope God did something in your heart today. So let's pray, and we'll send everybody out of here. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you for your word, God. I pray, God, that even those who didn't think they got anything today, when they leave, God, you'll bring to remembrance what they need to hear. And Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for all that you've done. And we give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Hey, enjoy the rest of your weekend. You got another day, hopefully. And it's nice outside. Next week, Pastor Russ will be uh, starting a new series. Thanks.